The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. We've been going through the Gospel of John on Wednesday nights, and we'd like to return there again this evening, the Gospel of John, and we'd like to look at the sixth chapter, the sixth chapter, and this will be an account that I feel like you're probably very familiar with, which is Jesus' feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 5,000. And we left off in John chapter 5, where Jesus was in Jerusalem in the aftermath of the healing of the impotent man. And he spends a significant portion through the end of the chapter of publicly rebuking the Jews there in the temple. And now he's returned back to Galilee, right? So the Gospel of John spends a lot of time focusing on Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. Now he's went back to Galilee, and the Gospel of John also focuses on specific miracles that highlight the divinity of Jesus Christ. And obviously this miracle in the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes certainly shows God's sovereignty over just natural food, right, and the ability to provide for his children. So, John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, and we will consider the feeding of the 5,000. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said, <clears throat> He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient. For them that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Take the men. Jesus said, Make the men sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about five thousand. Five, we say the feeding of the 5,000, but it was of the 5,000 men. Good chance that this was eight, 10, maybe even 12,000 if they brought their families with them. And no doubt they had large families back then. So the feeding of the 5,000 men, no doubt it was a significantly larger number than just 5,000. Verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were sat down. Likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. 
Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. <clears throat> so the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is recorded in, <clears throat> that is recorded in all four Gospels. Now, there's, there's a lot of miracles that are recorded in various Gospels, some just in one Gospel, some in multiple ones. But outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the feeding of the 5,000 men is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And that certainly underlines and highlights the significance of it, right? The only miracle that is recorded in all four of the gospel accounts. So Jesus, to set a little bit more context in the other gospel accounts that's not really highlighted here in John's account, first of all, this is right on the aftermath of the death and the killing of John the Baptist by Herod. And Obviously, Jesus is John the Baptist's natural first cousin, but also they were very close just by way of ministry, right? Not just natural relation. So Jesus receives word that John the Baptist has been killed. And also around that same time period, the disciples return from their trip out to preach and teach and they did great miracles and they came back and they told Jesus all about it, okay? So what happens is that Jesus, in the aftermath of John the Baptist being killed, and then also the disciples have just returned from their long preaching journey, he tells them, this is in Mark's account, this is in uh, Matthew chapter 14, as well as in Mark chapter 6, and Luke chapter 9. We'll kind of jump back and forth to give you the full scope of this story. So setting a little bit more of the uh, beginning of this context, the, the disciples had just got back from their preaching journey. This is in verse 30 of Mark chapter 6. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things both what they had done and what they had taught. So they just got back from their preaching trip and they were all excited, right? They told him about that. But then also Jesus tells them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many going and coming and they had no leisure so much as to eat. So obviously the fame of Jesus Christ is beginning to spread. And this is even before the feeding of the 5,000 men, even before some of the more prominent miracles. But the, but the uh, fame of Jesus Christ is beginning to spread. And they are being just hounded with people that want to be healed, that are seeking teaching. They're just being hounded with all these different people with various different backgrounds and various different motives 
so much so that they did not even have time to eat. So Jesus says, we're going to go apart. We're going to go apart from this multitude, from this throng of people, go out on a desert place, and notice this, we're going to go out here and rest a while. <laughs> Jesus believes in vacations from time to time, right? To get away from all the hustle and bustle, get away from all the pressures of life, and rest a while. And the disciples had just got back from this long, arduous, physically taxing journey, spiritually taxing journey, and he said, you need some rest. But also, Jesus Christ, he wanted to get away because I believe he was personally mourning the death of John the Baptist. So Jesus says we're going to get away. We're going to get away from the throng. We're going to get away from the people because I need to mourn personally, but also the disciples need rest, and they're just being being hounded by so many people. They can't even get uh, 30 minutes to be able to have supper. They don't have enough time to eat, okay? So Jesus says, we're going to go apart from all. We're going to go to a desert place. We're going to go out into the wilderness to separate ourselves from the people. So they did that. They separated themselves, but somebody saw him leaving, <laughs> And words spread fast back then, especially because they were so excited about Jesus Christ. So somebody saw Jesus leaving. And when they saw him leaving, they followed him. And word got out. And a lot of people followed him. So what happened was now, this is still in Mark chapter 6, the people saw them departing and many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all the cities and came together unto him. So they saw Jesus leaving, and they just run and follow him in this mass throng multitude of people. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw much people, was moved with compassion toward them. He sees these people desiring to seek him. He, he's moved with compassion toward them because they appeared as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So he sees these people that are following him, that are desiring uh, his teaching, and he begins to teach them many things as the good shepherd. He saw them as sheep not having any shepherd, and what does Jesus do? He teaches them as the good shepherd, right? And that good shepherd identity is highlighted a few chapters later in John chapter 10. So as the good shepherd, he sees these, she these sheep not having a shepherd. So what does Jesus do? He teaches them, right? He teaches these sheep with what they stand in need of by way of instruction. But then, now the day is far spent. Now we're in verse 35 in Mark chapter 6. Now the day is far spent. And these people had followed him out here, not just by themselves, not just a bunch of men, but they took their, their families out there. And this highlights family-integrated worship, by the way. The men didn't go out there solely by themselves. They took their family with them, their wives and their children. So there's a good chance. Again, we always say the feeding of the 5,000. This is probably a minimum of feeding of the 10,000. 8,000, 10,000, maybe 12. I think we could very comfortably say that this is the feeding of the 10,000. Personally, I'm going to lean toward about 12,000 because they, they had a bunch of kids back then, right? <laughs> and most of them were married. So feeding of the 5,000 men, 
good chance 10 to 12,000 people that they fed. So now he's taught them all day. He has compassion on them. He sees them as, uh, as sheep, not having a shepherd, and he feeds his sheep, as Jesus always does as the good shepherd. But now the day is far spent, and these people haven't had anything to eat. They've just been been consuming the teaching ministry of Jesus Christ, and they haven't had anything to eat. And this adds a little bit more flavor in some of these other Gospels, uh, and we want to kind of mesh them together so maybe we can get a full picture here. Uh, Jesus says in Mark chapter 6 and verse 37, give ye them to eat. <laughs> so they've been out here all day. They were trying to get away from these people, but they followed them. And now Jesus spends all day teaching them, and now it's getting about, about sunset, right? It's getting about dusk. And Jesus says, all right, feed them, disciples. And they say, what? What are you talking about? We can't feed him. We can't feed this great multitude of people. We didn't bring enough food to feed 10,000 people, to feed 12,000 people. We didn't bring enough food for that. Now, I want to go back to John's account of this. And uh, here, in his rendering of this conversation, John says that Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him. And he saith unto Philip, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? So first of all, he asked the disciples in general, so to say, how are we going to feed these people? And the disciples were like, we don't have any food, right? We have no ability to, to feed these people. But then God, John's gospel zooms in a little bit on Philip. And he, he asked the general group, but then he asked Philip individually. And Philip says, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? That's what Jesus asked Philip. And what's Philip's response to that? Well, first of all, what's Jesus's motive? We find this in verse six. And this he said, so Jesus asked Philip this question, this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus obviously knew that he was going to end up multiplying the loaves and the fishes and feed this group of 10,000 people. But obviously the disciples didn't know that, right? So he asked Philip specifically, and notice he calls out Philip to test Philip's faith, to prove his faith. So how does Philip stand up? Uh, he's seen Jesus perform other miracles, and he should have believed in Jesus' ability to, to solve this problem. But, but what, is, what is the evaluation? What is the, uh, the test of Philip's faith? How did, how did he do on this proving of his faith? <laughs> well, he did like all of us would do if I saw 10,000 people sitting out there and I didn't have any food. <laughs> I would say, just like him, verse 7, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. So even if we had enough money to go into the next town and just monetarily purchase all this food, we still wouldn't be able to feed all these people. They may be able to get a little bit. And by the end of this, we know that not just everybody ate, but everybody was filled, right? So not just we got to get enough fun, enough money to, to give somebody one little loaf, uh, one little pinch of bread. No, we can't even do that. We don't even have enough money to give 
individual portions to everybody. And then by the end of it, they, they didn't just get an individual portion and leave unsatisfied because they, they still had a long journey back home, right? No, they were filled. But Philip's faith is tested right here. Philip's faith is proven by Jesus asking him this question. And his faith does like our faith does when our faith is proven and tested. I don't think Philip passed the test, right? <laughs> he says he looked at it with natural eyes, just like I would, and say, well, Lord, we don't have enough bread. And even if we had enough money, we, we don't even have enough money in the, in the treasury to go buy food for everybody. Well, you want to know what they were forgetting? You want to know what the disciples were forgetting? Is they were forgetting about the story, the account in the Old Testament where they were also in a wilderness place. And what did God do? He provided manna. He provided food in the wilderness. He provided food in, his, in the desert place for his people. So they weren't looking at this situation through faith. And honestly, I wouldn't have looked at it through faith. And you wouldn't have either. I don't think any of us would have stood up and said, you know what? Jesus, I think that you're just going to take a couple of loaves and fishes and you're going to feed 10,000 people. I don't think anyone would have reached that conclusion in this moment. So Philip's faith, it fails the proving. It fails the testing. And I feel like ours would too. So then one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a lad here which had five barley loaves and two small fishes. So he's presenting some type of a solution. You know, we don't have enough money to go to the next town and buy food for everybody. I'm presenting a solution, but notice he's presenting this solution, but he's not even doing that in faith. He's presenting this solution maybe a little sarcastically. Um, but he's definitely doing it in unbelief because he says, there's a lad here that has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But he says, but what are they among so many? <laughs> so I want you to notice, first of all, the unbelief of the disciples. Jesus said, we need to provide food for these people. And the first response of the disciples is what? Unbelief, a lack of faith, because they're looking at this situation through natural eyes, just like any of us would at first blush, right? So notice the unbelief of the disciples, but also notice the unbelief of the disciples does not hinder God's ability to perform this miraculous work and take care of his people. Amen. Aren't you glad that, that our God is just that good? In spite of our unbelief and the, the disciples here, I believe, give a very strong picture of the ministry and how Jesus takes uh, loaves and fishes. He takes these small kindlings of our studies throughout the week and he takes them and he multiplies them in a special way and then he gives it to the disciples, and then the disciples, we find out a little bit later that they're the uh, people are are set or are grouped together in groups of fifty and a hundred, and then that disciple goes and he gives bread and fish to that individual group of fifty and a hundred. 
So even though he didn't believe, even though the disciples doubted, even though the disciples were operating in unbelief, God miraculously provides, not because of our faithfulness, not because of our our faith and our confidence and our belief in him. No, he does that in spite of our unbelief. And that's what God does every day, doesn't he? He doesn't bless us because we are perfect and we're persevering to the end and we're doing everything right. No, God blesses us in spite of our unbelief, right? Lord, I believe. (laughs) I sure do. I have faith in Jesus. But you know what? Lord, I believe. Oh, but Lord, please bless that and and bless me to conquer that rising doubt of unbelief, right? Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. So these unbelieving disciples, Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fishes, and then he gives it to the disciples to hand out. <laughs> and and don't you know as they were handing that, and they they had had to hand out so much, they got exhausted, no doubt, right? Also notice how there was a dispersion of the work, right? The disciples here reflecting the ministry. It's not up to one man to feed 5,000 people. No, the Lord directs individual men to minister to groups of 50 and 100, and it's not up to one man to feed everybody. No, it's up to the will and the dispersion of the Lord, the will and the dispersion of the Holy Spirit to make sure all the sheep are fed appropriately. Also, we want to make sure we highlight that these people, the whole reason they were out here late in the day, at dusk, not having anything to eat, was because they were seeking the teaching of Jesus Christ. And Jesus made some promises back in the Sermon on the Mount when he preached that, and particularly Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't be concerned about your food, right? God takes care of the ravens. He takes care of the lilies of the field. He's going to take care of you. And he tells them there, he tells the disciples there in the midst of that Sermon on the Mount, that if you put the kingdom first, all these things are going to be added to you. Now, what's important about that? What's important about walking by faith and trusting that God will keep his promise that if you put the kingdom first, he will provide for your needs. That does not mean that we will always have everything that we need sitting in the cupboard and and have a stockpile for doomsday that we, we've got enough food for a whole month. You want to know what the Lord promised us? Daily bread. He promised us manna. That manna could not did not have a rollover to the next day, right? That manna was gone every single day, all except for the sixth day that rolled into the Sabbath. But it's difficult to trust. It's difficult to have faith that God is going to provide for your needs. Look at these people that put the kingdom first. They put the kingdom first, and look what God did. God miraculously provided for their needs because they sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? 
And look how miraculously God did that. I mean, think, think all the way back. You talk about the multiplication of food, the multiplication of daily provision. Think all the way back to Elijah, who's one of the few people who is standing up for God in that community during that time period. Now, there was the silent remnant of 7,000 people, but those, those 7,000 people weren't there on the mount standing up to the false prophets. It was just Elijah, okay? Now, before that, though, when he calls a, a drought, what did the Lord do? The Lord provided for Elijah, but how did he do it? He did it by ravens down at the brook, and then the brook dried up, and he sent him to a widow on her last meal. So how, how did the Lord provide for Elijah, who put the kingdom first, no doubt, didn't he? Didn't Elijah put the kingdom first? Yes, he did. How did he provide for Elijah, who put the kingdom first? in the most unlikely way that you can imagine, sending him, first of all, down to the brook to be fed by ravens, and then down to a widow and her son that are on their last meal. And what happened? When she, in faith, when that widow, in faith, gave her last meal to the man of God, God multiplied that meal and that cruise all the way until the end of the drought. So when God says that he's going to provide for your needs if you put the kingdom first, you may not necessarily know where that provision is coming from from day to day, right? He doesn't necessarily promise that he's going to give you a free meal ticket, that you're going to have enough stockpiled for a month. No, every single day when those Israelites that were in the middle of the desert had to get up, they went to bed not having anything to eat. And they woke up in faith knowing that God had promised that he was going to provide for them. And guess what? That manna was there every single day. And I just love that story. I love that story so much that God is so good to his disobedient, unbelieving people. Because that's the group that I fall in most days. That's the group I fall in most of the time is I believe. Oh, but, but Lord help my unbelief. And, and there's a group of people, a whole generation that didn't believe the promise of God that was going to die in the wilderness. They, they could have been eating all the blessings of the land of Canaan. But what did they do? They, they let unbelief, they let fear. Boy, that's, that's a big, big sermon, a big topic been on my mind a lot recently. They let fear quench their faith. They let fear lead them to unbelief. And now because of that, a whole generation is going to die in the wilderness. But you want to know what? Those people who did not believe the promise of God, they didn't press into the kingdom in the land of Canaan in the manner that they ought to. You want to know what God did for that unbelieving generation that was going to die in the wilderness? You want to know what he did? He gave them manna every single day. He let their, you know, he didn't just give the, uh, that, that generation that was going to going into Canaan, he didn't just let their clothes last for 40 years and their shoes not wear out. That unbelieving generation that because of their own sin had to bear the consequences of dying in the wilderness, 
that unbelieving generation, God gave them manna every day. He blessed their, their raiment to not wear out, and he blessed their, their shoes to not wear out for 40 years. I lo- I, I, every time uh, my, my favorite shoes wear out, the only thing I try to do is find essentially the exact copy of, I don't want new shoes. I just want a newer version of the shoes I already had. And those aren't going to last longer than a year or two. <laughs> Boy, you want to talk about a miracle. <laughs> Shoes lasting for 40 years. Wow. How about that miracle, right? God did that to unbelieving people. His unbelieving people. He was that good to them. Amen. He was that good to them because our God is just that good. So now we have these unbelieving disciples. And don't you know that every time they went back for another helping, right? They go and they hand out everything they have, and then they go back to Jesus, and then he gives them another basket that's just loaded down. And don't you know these baskets were heavy? These were not little bitty baskets. So they're having to throw their backs out as a reminder of their unbelief, right? But what does God do in spite of their unbelief? He makes sure that his sheep are fed. And boy, isn't that such a comfort to me as a minister when I get entangled with the affairs of this life and I don't have time to study on messages the way that I need to and I just get in the pulpit and say, Lord, give me your spirit and please feed your sheep. And a lot of times the Lord feeds his sheep in spite of my unbelief, in spite of my proper preparation. And God is going to make sure that his sheep are fed. God's going to make sure his sheep are fed, even if the people that are distributing the loaves and the fishes are maybe not walking in faith and walking in belief as boldly and as strongly as they should, right? So another thing that Jesus tells them to do here is... He tells them to sit the people down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And I like that that shows structure, right? God's not a God of chaos. He's a God of structure. He's a God of organization. But also, as we think about the disciples taking the blessing of God and then dispensing it to sheep that are in need of feeding as sheep having no shepherd, he tells them to sit down in orderly in orderly ranks of 50 and 100. <clears throat> now, what he didn't do is tell one man to go feed 10,000 people, okay? He distributed the workload along the, uh, along the 12 disciples, and he set them down in ranks of 50 and 100, And if we think about these disciples as a picture of the ministry, I think that is a very good size for a good, healthy, thriving local church. Now, when you get 5,000 people, way before that, but especially if you get into this 5,000, 10,000, 12,000 people in this mega church, then you have totally lost the structure of the body of Christ that one member 
hurts when the other member hurts. One member rejoices when the other member rejoices. You don't know who they are. You don't know who the pat. You don't. You don't. You you don't have a personal relationship with the senior pastor at churches that big. You got a jillion different pastors, and you sure enough are not going to have a relationship with the senior pastor. So this whole idea of this mega church idea is totally unbiblical. Totally unbiblical. And once you get above 50, 100 people, once you get above about 100 people, it's really difficult to maintain those type of close, intimate relationships and connection that make the body of Christ, the body, okay? And if a church is growing and thriving, and they, of course they may have 150 or 200 people visit on a Sunday, and praise God for that, but if you have over 100 people in members of your church, and you're continuing to grow and thrive, I would... I would present for your consideration, if you are being abundantly blessed by the Holy Spirit in that way, that I think that that is, is the right size for a local church. And if you're growing that much, I hope that you might consider planting another church in another location. So if people are driving, if you have 150 people and you have 50 people that live on the other side of town that are driving 30 minutes over to your church, I hope you would consider planting a church on the other side of town, right? And if the Holy Spirit's in that, many times you will you will see that there will be a minister that's raised up that has a burden for this other area. So, so our hope is that if churches are growing and thriving beyond this 50 and 100 structure that the Lord identifies here in the feeding of the 5,000, if they're growing especially beyond a hundred people. I, w- I would love to see churches being planted, right? Being churches being planted in other areas, in other communities, because when we get above a hundred, it's just really difficult to maintain that type of intimacy and connection that is vital to the proper, lively, thriving, functioning of a New Testament church, right? And then when we get to three, four hundred, a thousand, you have no ability to have the kind of connection with the other church members that God intends in the New Testament church. So then the Lord miraculously blesses and uh, provides for these five loaves and these these, uh, these two fishes, and then he just multiplies it and multiplies it and multiplies it, and these 10,000 people are fed. And I love how by the end of this, by the end of this, these disciples that doubted, not a single one of them looked at Jesus and said, you know what, you are Jehovah God, manifest in the flesh. And God provided in the wilderness in the Old Testament, and I believe you're going to do that today. Not a single one of them believed in faith like that. And I love how by the end of this, they <laughs> they started out in unbelief. They kind of had to bite their tongue in shame as they continued to disperse this despite their unbelief. And then not only that, how much was left over? How much was left over when the Lord provided? And these people were 
field. Remember, they had a long journey. They're out in the middle of the wilderness. These people have to have strength, physical strength, to be able to go back home. Well, he allows them to have enough, not just to have a, a small pinch of a piece of bread. He, he allows them to be filled. And no doubt this is the best meal they've ever had, right? <laughs> just like how that, that water that Jesus turned into wine was the best wine that master of the, of the wedding feast had ever tasted. No doubt this is the best meal that they ever had, right? So they're filled, and they're, now they have the strength to go back home. But notice how much was left over. Not only were there 10,000 people probably filled uh, with everything that they needed, and he said, make sure that there are fragments that are taken up and nothing would be lost. And notice how many baskets there are left over. Twelve. <laughs> That's not an accident at all. Those disciples that didn't believe in the power of God, they, they scoffed at their ability to purchase food, and they looked at what God ended up using, which was five bar loaves and two fishes, and then they looked at that and said, but what does that matter? I mean, that's nothing compared to trying to feed all these people. Every single one of those unbelieving disciples had to carry back a big, heavy basket of leftovers. <laughs> and maybe, maybe you've had a basket full of reminders of your unbelief that you've had to carry around with you as well. I know I have. That the Lord provides and he reminds me of my previous unbelief and he blesses me in spite of that. And then I've got to carry, carry back a big old basket full of leftovers as a reminder, first of all, of my unbelief, but second of all, a token of when God blesses, he doesn't just fill your cup, he overflows your cup, right? My cup runneth over. And God's just that good. God's just that good to not just give us up to the brim, not just fill us up, but to overflow us to where we take home leftovers to where not anything is lost. But, but they had to carry back a big, heavy basket as a reminder of their unbelief, but also a reminder of God's goodness and his overflowing blessings that he gives his people. And I know I've, I've carried around some baskets of fragments of unbelief. <laughs> Maybe you have too. But they are a reminder that God's blessings, they, they just, they consume us, right? God's, God's blessings just overflow because he's such a good God, right? God's such a good God to us. Now, their, their response to this, we see this throughout the rest of the chapter. Some people get all enamored with the food. They start following for the wrong reason. And he said, listen, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. But these men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of truth, that prophet that should come into the world. That prophet was, was uh, prophesied all the way back in Deuteronomy. But then the next miracle that we'll consider next time is Jesus walking on the water. But then, verse 15 in John chapter 6, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed himself into a mountain alone. So these people were so excited with this miracle that 
it just tells you how how confused we get in our sinful natures and, and unbelief. They see this amazing miracle, and they want to take him as a king by force to go overthrow the Romans, right? For the Jews, it's all about overthrowing the Romans, and they always miss the boat. They always miss the real lesson that's being taught in, in these miracles. So um, we'll consider, Lord willing, Jesus walking on the water the next time, but uh, maybe, hopefully, the feeding of the 5,000 is a great reminder to you that God blesses it. Now, we need to believe the Lord, right? This is not an excuse for lack of faith, right? It's not an excuse for unbelief, but it's hard for us to see sometimes how the Lord will provide. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean that we don't trust God. We walk by what? What do we walk by? We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We walk by faith, trusting the bread of life, trusting that Jesus Christ is able to provide manna in the midst of the wilderness. He's able to provide bread where we can't see it if we put the kingdom first. And these people put the kingdom first. They were a sheep having no shepherd. And Jesus is not going to leave his starving sheep unfed. He's going to take care of them. And, and, and one of the ways he takes care of his starving sheep is through unbelieving disciples, unbelieving ministers. And we have the privilege of taking home those baskets of fragments as a reminder of God's blessings in spite of our unbelief. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.